This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 595, and the quote of the day is, you are the only person that can create the future you want. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 595, and we got a good one. I got my man, Jonathan Barber, and admittedly, I don't know why it took me so long to get him on the podcast. I have wanted to get him on for a while, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> These things happen. So uh, we finally got him, though. I'm, I'm really excited about it. If you're not familiar with, with his work, he was voted the number one up-and-coming drummer of 2018 in the Modern Drummer Poll. And he's also recorded and toured worldwide with artists like Pat Metheny and Nicholas Payton and Buster Williams. And the thing that I think is even more impressive is he has his own band, Vision Ahead, and wrote all of the tunes and composes all of these things and has created not only a record, but a live record and then video that goes along with it. There's a lot of stuff that he's done. And this art of constant evolution, this art of not never stop learning and constant learning and this thirst for knowledge, I think is something that really separates him from a lot of people who are trying to do what he does. And we talk about all that and his philosophy behind a lot of that stuff. So a very awesome conversation. Like I said, I'm so glad I got him on. I've been wanting to for a while. And today is the day. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Jonathan Barber. Jonathan Barber, what's going on, buddy? I'm well. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, We were talking off air a little bit about how quickly this came together. And sometimes, you know, an episode, I'll be talking to someone for a year or two years or three years. Like Nate Smith, I think, took me three years. Right, oh, nice. to get him on yeah. and he wow. would always just like hit me back and he's like i'm sorry man can we do next week and then like mm-hmm. it wouldn't happen or whatever um and then you and i talked and it was like i can do friday i'm like perfect done boom let's get it let's get it done and, and record it. it's amazing how quickly it came together so i'm right right so let's talk a little bit about i, I know that you grew up in church but the, one of the things that i thought was really interesting was you you were like, oh yeah, my early influence were influence were like the Yellow Jackets, right? Mm-hmm. And like and and I would say bands that were that were maybe like ahead of your time at that age, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what was it that got you into those things? Was it was it siblings? Was it you know was it the people in church? I just like when I read that, I was like, oh, I didn't get into that stuff until I was like in my twenties. Mm-hmm, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, now it was uh, thanks to my father, uh, mm. who um, still plays the drums from time to time. But I'll say like his prime was when I was definitely a child, and he was the the church drummer uh, at the time. It was uh, it was a family church that um, my family was a part of. Like my uncle was a pastor, and my aunt, you know, was the I guess co pastor, if you will. Mm-hmm. And one cool thing that was super beneficial was obviously growing up in the church, you had you listen to gospel music and all of a sudden you play gospel music. But throughout the week, you know, my dad will, will play different kind of music like Yellow Jackets or Weather Report or, you know, Michael Jackson or uh, Tara Power. Mm-hmm. And and his thing was, I remember on Saturdays, that would be his day where he would just wash the car. 
So he would t- take the car out of the garage and just be bumping music, just nice. all kind of stuff. And I really didn't know who was what until I got a lot older and I started researching like, okay. And I started asking him questions. Okay. Like what, like, who was that? Like, what's this song? And then he would tell me, and then I start making the connection. So at an early age, I was just listening to all kinds of music and just had a love for music and for melody and for how different bands took, you know, different songs and different, uh, I guess, musical directions and had different sensibilities mm-hmm. that was a little different than, you know, playing in church. Um, so, I mean, that kind of had a foundation and, and I think it definitely planted a seed um, that years to come, it kind of, you know, blossomed into other things. And I think that you're, I don't want to say you're in the rare exception because I, that, I think that's a, that's an overstatement, but I know that a lot of guys that were like, oh, I grew up in church and I wasn't allowed to listen to anything besides gospel music. Like no, right. no you know, like gospel, it was either gospel or gospel. And that's right. It, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's funny because like, with the music that I was listening to, like it had no lyrics. So, um, you know, I don't know if that was like a past that my dad had that was just like, well, you know, there's no lyrics. So it's not necessarily open to interpretation, but it gives me this feeling like I know who I am. I'm comfortable with my skin and my faith and what I believe in. And, right. and hearing a certain melody can still put me in this mind frame of, you know, like a, a hymn, if you will. Sure. Um, and so I think with that mindset, it definitely, um, you know, just allowed me to listen to, you know, pretty much instrumental music and kind of built this imagination. Because at an early age, you know, I was thinking about, you know, wrestling and playing outside. And, you know, I had my own imagination. So when I heard sure. this music, it kind of related to that, you mm. know, to just being a kid and just like having fun and just you know, imagining anything, I didn't necessarily, you know, look at the quote unquote lifestyle of certain, you know, musicians or artists. I just was, it was just kind of like, it, it allowed me to have an imagination. So I was super right. grateful, super grateful. Kind of like theater that. of the mind a little bit. And yeah. Yeah. Which I'm foolishly didn't even think about this. The reason why people don't want, didn't want their kids or, you know, anyone listening to non gospel music is because of the lyrics. Right. Yeah. Right? Like suggested yeah. lyrics or, or absolutely. Whatever. I didn't, I literally like, as you're saying that I was like, how did I never, how did I not know that before? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, like when, when you were, um, where, where do you think that, that a lot of your early development came from? Do you think it was from, because I have a theory about some of these things, but I, I mm-hmm. want to ask you first. Um, but was it because you were listening to the stuff that your dad was playing? Was it because you were getting pushed in church? Was it a combination of the two? Yeah, it was definitely a combination of the two. I remember like it was different stages. So uh, in the very beginning, talking about the family church, one thing that was really special was the fact that at the time, uh, the church was renting a YMCA. So every Sunday we would go to YMCA and set up all the gear, you know, the mm-hmm. system, everything. We just rented out a gymnasium. And I was basically my dad's roadie, you know, for X amount of years, I would help him set the drums. And so at an early age, I was very hands-on to the instrument. Like I, right. I knew, you know, what a clutch was and snare wires. And, you know, I would 
just live to go with him to Guitar Center and buy some drum heads and put it on. And then he kind of taught me how to, you know, tune and, you know, just like different things like that. And so mm-hmm. I was definitely, it was like a visual thing for me just to, and then watch him play. And, you know, him play with so much, you know, passion and, and, and obviously, it wasn't like charts, so you just had to go by ear. The moment the organist start playing or the vocalist start singing a song, boom, you had to jump right in. And so I kind of took that and was like, man, that's so cool. And then mm-hmm. over time, he allowed me to play a song and two. And then when I start being, um, you know, the drum of that church, it kind of gave me, um, I guess, training, you know, right. to kind of practice what I was watching. And then I would say, kind of fast forward a little bit, throughout the years when I was listening to other different styles of music, I wasn't playing that, uh, you know, um, those um, sensibilities, if you will, like the music related to Yellow Jackets or uh, Weather Report or Miles Davis. I, I, would, I, I heard it, but I never got a chance to play it. So it was just kind of like bottled up, I would say, for many yeah. years. And then what the turning point was, um, the summer going into my senior year of high school um i was 16 years old and my mom just one day just like looked at me and was just like man you need to get a job and i was just like okay cool not thinking that's what you were gonna say no man she looked at me she's like you you're gonna be like to- you need to start playing jazz or something not no. you need to get a job she said you need to get a job and i was just like okay what in the world am i gonna do and luckily enough she like looked in the paper and found a summer uh, camp, a summer program for uh, people in the greater Hartford area. I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. People in the greater Hartford area to go to like a music camp and check this out. You would get paid $100 a week. If mm-hmm. if if you got in, you had to audition, obviously. And if you got in, you get paid. So I'm like, oh, this is some money. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, oh, I just, oh man, like, let's go. Right. So, um, so I auditioned and obviously it was a jazz focused um, like music um, a sec- a section, if you will. And it was at the Artist Collective and Artist Collective is uh, a just huge monumental uh, institution in uh, Hartford, Connecticut that was founded by legendary uh, jazz saxophonist Jackie McLean. And that summer was the summer that he passed away. And so I just missed him, but his son Renee McLean took over and his uh, wife is still with us, Dyla McLean. So they were definitely, um, you know, uh, heavily involved into the program. And mm-hmm. so when I got there, I'll never forget, it was it was one of Jack McLean's songs that had an audition. I never heard the song, but it was basically like a vamp that I kind of just had to, you know, play around. And it just clicked. It clicked for me. And I never had the opportunity to play that style of music, but the fact that I had this, this, uh, the fact that I was hearing it and kind of like bottling inside of me for so long, it finally got activated. Hmm. And so that part or that point, I was just like, I want to get into jazz. And that summer I w- I just was eating and sleeping and breathing jazz music, checking out everything that I possibly could. And by the time I got, you know, the senior year started in high school, I already knew where I was going to University of Hartford. I knew I wanted to be a jazz musician. I completely checked out of that year. Cause I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I'm just like, right. this is a waste of me going to, you know, algebra class because I want to be a jazz musician. And so right. I think that part as well uh, in, the, in those stages definitely um, propelled me forward to be this full-time musician. Right, right. 
What one thing that I that I noticed was the way that you play open handed was are you left handed? Mm-hmm. And how did that how did that whole thing come about? I am. So um, you know, uh, again speaking of my father, he was set up the drums in the living room mm-hmm. all the time, you know, because for him it was just like he didn't really feel like well, I don't know, it it, it kind of made sense for him to kind of like break down the kit and then from church and leave it in uh, inside the house. But he would set up the drums in the um, living room where the TV and sofa was. And he never forced the, the drums on me, but obviously it was there like being like a little kid. I'm just like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna play this. And so, you know, so when I start playing in the middle of the room and be like, I, yeah, I don't like, care now. if you touch it or not. But. <laughs> right. And so when I sat down, um, and then I would hear you know the, the songs and the records that he were that he was playing. I'll try to play along to it, and it was just naturally that my left hand was on the hi hat, my right hand was on the snare drum, and so um, he he thought that was very cool. He's like, "Oh man, he's left handed." Like you know, he didn't try to you know change me and say, "Oh you know try to cross my hands or right. say." Well, a lot of times the- you get that where you're like. You know, oh, I played open hand for a little while, and then so you know, I went to school, or someone talked me out of it, and for years yeah. I didn't, and then I got back into left handed or open handed. I should have, I should have never changed. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was super cool, and I'm just like, I was kind of proud of that. I'm like, yeah, because now I look different than all the other drummers, and I always wanted to be, you know, different. I I, I admire, you know, just having some kind of originality. Um, and so I was doing that and then come to find out, I started doing my research and it's like, okay, well, I'm not the only person on this planet. You got, of course, right. Billy Cobham and Will Kennedy, uh, Carter Beaufort. You know, yeah. Yeah. Carter Beaufort. Yeah. Like so many, you know? And so I think that's like super cool. And then as I even dive deeper into the instrument and just, you know, um, you know, just different, I want to say licks or patterns, but how I, I express myself and, and how I can kind of, uh, come off of certain ideas it just kind of makes sense as far as like my hands are not crossing like everything is kind of in its own lane if you right. will right so i think it's really cool man <laughs> i think it is too i experiment like when i was when i was coming up i was like i was a huge carter Beaufort fan i was a big dave matthews fan so yeah. like i i was like i'm gonna try to do everything that carter Beaufort does so mm-hmm. i tried open-handed and it was uh it was super hard for me just because I'm right-handed and I'd been playing close hand, you know, normally uh, for a while. But what yeah. I did notice is I was like, man, it just opens up the whole right side of the kit for you. Yeah. And there's so much room over there to move around because you don't have your, you're not, your hands aren't crossed. And if you think about it, when you look at like playing with your hands crossed, it's pretty dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if you think of really, you're like, why would I ever, I don't know. Right. Like, I don't know if you ever played, uh, if you ever played baseball or not, but um, when you take a lead off of the base, they tell you not to cross your legs while you're while you're sliding out because if they try to throw the ball back and pick you off, then your legs are crossed and you can't move. Right. So they right. tell you to like step, you know, side to side this way, mm. you know, like foot to foot. And right, like makes sense. Yeah, because it makes sense. And then we're like, but I'll sit down behind the drums and cross my hands all up, and I'm like, this is stupid. Yeah, Why? you know, it's such a weird, and and but that's just that's just the way that it is now. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that like, I think it would be just as easy for everyone if they, right when they started playing to like practice playing open-handed. Yeah. I mean, I think so too. And I will say even on the drums, 
like it, it allows my right hand, which is uh, I'll say like my non-dominant hand to get mm-hmm. involved as well. Because most of the time what I'm finding out or what I see uh, with right-handed drummers, everything is like a right-hand led kind of, of motion. Yeah. And, and the right hand is kind of doing a lot of the, the quote unquote work, if you will. Yeah. And left and, hand plays the snare and follows the right hand. <laughs> yeah. And so like with, you know, I, I kind of have an exercise where I will, um, you know, let my left hand play like a certain pattern on the hi-hat or the cymbal and let my non-dominant hand, let my right hand kind of explore. And I find that like, it kind of gives me this imagination to kind of lead with any kind of hand. It's not necessarily like, oh, I'm left-handed, so everything's going to be a left-hand-led kind of uh, style of playing. It's just like, no, my right hand is just as active and and I'm, I'm, I'm really conscious and intentional with, you know, my right hand being involved as well. It's not mm-hmm. lying dormant, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. I also, the one thing that I did do, I experimented a little bit with just moving the ride to the left-hand side of the of the drum kit playing it mm-hmm. with my right hand but like but like it, being able to it, to have all that interplay between the snare and the hi-hat and the ride that mm-hmm. close together is mm-hmm. like that opens up a whole new world of like sonic possibilities yeah absolutely so, but i stole that from carter beauford you know but I, like, <laughs> I can't do this with my left hand so i just <laughs> did i am i mistaken did i see you you have a it looks like like an 18 inch kick drum on your left side like next to your snare right it's a 16 it's a 16 what's that all about yeah so because i was looking um, at it, I was like what is that and i was like is that a i was like that's a kick drum yeah yeah it, it is a kick drum um yeah it's a six like i always wanted a small kick drum because you know at the time um you know living in new york you know if if, if i'm gonna bring drums i'm all about muscle over like metal if you will as far mm-hmm. as like i want to protect my <laughs> my body and just not be willing in a whole bunch of drums so yeah um yeah so i got the the 16 inch bass drum and then i saw one cool thing from uh pearl i'm not um endorsed with them but at the same time i mean they this is really cool that they designed um it is you can they have these legs where you can i guess convert a bass drum into a floor tom mm-hmm and I was just like on the internet and I saw that and I was like, man, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of dope. And so I just purchased, you know, the legs and then I was, you know, trying different things and I put it on a 16 and then it had like a nice, you know, thud, you know, and that'd be you know, super overwhelming. And, you know, all my gigs, I just try whatever, you know, right. any kind of configuration because it's not like someone's going to tell me, oh, I don't want that. It's like, no. Like it's it's my band. All right, I can, I can do whatever I, can I want. Do right. Exactly. And so I I did it. That might be like the first time uh that I tried it out at, at that gig, uh the Jazz Standard gig. But uh I yeah, I dug it and then the next day we went to the studio to record it and it sounds killer um recording wise, like on wax. So I was just like, Oh, this is this is this is gonna stick forever. <laughs> How are you using it as sonically, are you using it like a traditional bass drum or are you or are you using it as like a floor tom um like a floor tom but but just the way the tuning ranges is is different than a i'll say a 16 inch floor tom and with the hoops it kind of you know changes the sound a little bit mm-hmm. so i so i think it's a mixture of both like i can get a bass drum tone but i'm using it like a floor tom gotcha. you know, 
ultimately. Gotcha. So I want to talk a little bit about influences. Uh, I mean, we talked about the Yellow Jackets, and we and we talked about Weather Report and and uh, and all of the the jazz stuff that you listen to. But I think we're going through like a really amazing time right now, particularly in jazz, where what I hear is, and I'm not in, you know, I'm not really in that, I'm not in that world. Um, but what I really hear is like, I hear jazz, I hear gospel mm-hmm. and I hear like, like hip hop, Dilla mm-hmm. all blended together. Right. Yep. And like, you know, and, and jazz really like over the years hasn't changed that much, but now specifically, I feel like there's so much more, there's so much more blending going on and there's a lot more just experimentation going on. You know, before everyone was kind of like, look, you play bebop, you play bebop. That's how, that's how you mm-hmm. might play a little bit differently. But now like we're in uncharted territory that, yeah. you know, from before, um, for you, where where are some of your other influences that are outside of jazz that you feel like you're bringing into the stuff that you're playing? And are you seeing that among your peers and among the other you know players that are that I would consider to be in, in the same genre as you? Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've been blessed to you know perform with you know many different artists, and I think those experiences have totally shaped my uh, uh, my sensibility uh, within composition and as well as kind of, you know, this musical DNA, this makeup that I have as an artist. Um, so, I mean, growing up, I was a huge, huge Fred Hammond fan. Like, I just loved um, Fred Hammond, gospel artist. And mm-hmm. at the time, um, Marv McQuitty was the drummer uh, in that band. And then Later on, it was Calvin Rogers, and I was just, you know, just mesmerized by, um, you know, his, uh, how how focused he was within the music, and and just how like how sharp he was musically. Right, you're saying um, Calvin, or are you saying Cal- right? Well, yeah. both, but 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 I'll, I'll speak on Calvin, but both yeah. of them, but but just how as, as Calvin just you know took it forward, I was just uh, super just mesmerized by it. Um. You know, I, I had a chance to perform with Erica Badu, mm-hmm. and and as I check her music out, you know, I, I was like, that's an influence. Obviously, Pat Metheny yeah. is a, a huge influence of mine. Just you know, listening to him over the years and then having a chance to you know play with him and tour with him has been super. You know, just everything. You know, like as yeah, yeah I, I I can't hardly even put it to words. It's it's, it's great. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, like Jay Dilla, like. You know, you like you hear how I think like for me it's like hearing the hybrids in, in, in these artists. I think every artist has a certain kind of hybrid, meaning that they take uh something that they are inspired by that's outside of the quote unquote genre that they're in, and then they infuse it in the quote unquote genre that, that they're in and with with the with the intention of pushing something forward. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I think of, um, you know, for example, someone like like Erica Baidu, I I also think of like Billie Holiday and Sarah Vaughn, you know, yeah. and not saying that she's trying to be like them, but I can totally hear influence and then how she's, you know, uh, you know, linked up with you know people like James Poisoner or you know Jay Dilla and and, and the Roots, and now that becomes a thing, yeah. you know, like within those those hybrids and. 
So, I mean, that was like, those... and that was like a whole thing. Like I'm from Philly, and that was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like the Roots, Jill Scott, uh, yeah, um, uh, Erica Badu, like all of you know, like that was a whole. There was another. Um, there was another group. Um, I want to say that it was Black Widow, but I don't think that that's it. Um, but like, um, uh, what's the guy's name? He was a producer. He, he was a mega, mega producer and kind of fell from grace. And now he's getting back in, uh, Scott Storch. Um, mm-hmm. like those were, and they, it was, it was interesting. Like they were all, they were all like working together and they were all doing their own thing. And that there was, there was a style that, that came out of that. But then right. if you go deeper, like you said, they're all influenced by a lot of the same people. And then, and then bring in a different spice here and a different one here. And then mm-hmm. they create their own thing with it. It's such a, it's an amazing thing, man. I really, I, I, I dig it. Sorry. I cut you off, but yeah, no, that's yeah, that that's it. So I, I think, um, you know, for me, a lot of, I think anyone I come into contact with, I take something with me and, um, because uh, again, it's about, you know, um, taking something that, that you feel like is untapped mm-hmm. and also going through the funnel of something that has been done before, which you're inspired by, and just kind of creating this mold of like your own take on it. And I think that's why jazz is so beautiful because it's a re- it's always going to be a resurgence of something, you mm-hmm. know, because the next wave you know, is going to have another take on it. And the next wave is going to have another take on it. And the next wave is going to have another take on it. So it's, it's kind of like everyone gets to, I guess, chime in on this topic, you know, or, or, the, or this art form, if you will, of, yeah. of, of improvising and, you know, blending stuff and just trying pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. When, when you talk about getting inspiration and then have it get into your playing, I I think that there there's a lot of gray area there that happens. Like, how do you get what you practice into your playing, right? How do you get influences or things that you like into your playing without sitting down on the bandstand and saying, okay, now I'm going to play that thing that I like Mm -hmm. that Jay Dilla did on this track or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For you, how does that work? Is it like a, is it, well, I'll let you answer it. I don't want to put answers into your mouth. Yeah. What, when, as far as like, yeah, I have influences and, and there's people who I really love and, 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 but the truth is for me, like, even if I try to be like them or sound like them, like, I just can't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like a, as much as I love, uh, you know, Tony Williams, that's just like, I just not, not saying I can't do it, but like, he can only do it the way that he does it. Right. You know, and I respect that so much. But at the same time, like, you know, there there are some things I try to hold on to, you know, from him as as far as like his the fire, the intensity, you know, his his creativity, you know, like how he just kind of, um, you know, kind of flips things, mm-hmm. you know, if you will, like if it's like rudimental things, just like how he kind of, um, you know, creates these different hybrids and, and, and these advanced uh, concepts. But, um, I think, I think, it, it, I think it's it, it's important to take your influences and like kind of embrace it all and try to in, embody them. But I think 
for me is like having the intention of like I want this to come from like my lens, mm-hmm. and and this is not trying to um, impress someone with this particular sound or or with this vibe because that is a that's a just a disservice to myself. Like when I play with certain artists, um, of and I, you know, like prime example. Can I ask like you? When said I that's a, start, you said that's a disservice to yourself. You're saying because you don't, you're not being your your true, authentic self. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So if I'm sitting here trying to sound like this other person, it's a this. It's ultimately just a, a disservice to myself because I believe that we all have something to say, and we all can be an inspiration to something or someone mm-hmm. that can, you know, push something forward. So, Agreed. yeah, I, you know. When it comes to, yeah, when it comes to influences, like I, and, and that's why for me, I want to check out as much things as I can because there's going to be bits and pieces that I can pull from that's not necessarily going to sound like that person because it, for me, like it just can't. Like, you know, like if I want, if I really, like right now, like I'm really digging Lewis Cole. I think he's amazing. And, and I love like the German bass stuff. Uh, but, you know, it, it's like you have like experience, you have like just culture, you have all these other, these big elements that come into play that ultimately, like if if I take his idea and put it through my lens, it's going to just be different, mm-hmm. you know, which is which is a beautiful thing and which is like, that's great. And his influences and, and experience and culture makes him great. It makes him who he is by his, by what's in his heart. So... I, yeah, I don't really get caught up into thinking that like, ah, oh, you know, if I spend so much time with this or oh, let me stop because I'm going to sound like this person. It's like, no, because I, throughout these 31 years, I've built this experience and I've been a part of this culture where it's pretty much, you know, tailor made and it's my experience. And so whatever comes through my lens, it's it's going to be true to Jonathan Barber. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that there's there's a lot of people who do it the other way where they try to sort of just fit that thing into their playing. And it sounds, whether it sounds disingenuous or, or it sounds out of place or it, it sounds forced. Do you hear a lot of that? Yeah. I mean, cause obviously in, in I'll say society, you know, there's a thing where people do want to play it safe. And there's a thing where, um, you know, people do, um, things to fit in and i think it's you know a a choice that you make to say okay and 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 i think it's intentional you know these people are really intentional and know what they're doing like i'm going to you know try to either win people over or try to you know fit in with this you know vibe or Mm -hmm. whatever um so yeah, that that does exist, but I also feel like if people just make the choice to really be themselves and be comfortable with just like try to put it through their lens, I think like that will solve a lot of uh problems. <laughs> yeah. I I as you're saying this, I'm thinking that it, to me it seems like it seems like short-term 
gratification or long-term gratification. So like the short term yeah. thing is, is, you know, I can put this thing up on Instagram or play this lick and the people are going to be like, Oh shit. Right. And, and mm-hmm. then like, but I think long-term uh, I think you, you know, five years down the road, you kind of look back and you're like, man, I haven't really created anything for myself. I haven't created my own voice or my style or, or anything like that. So in the moment it felt good, but now mm-hmm. I don't have anything to show for it because I just recycled all these other things that everyone else played. Exactly. They are investing in something else rather than investing in themselves. Yeah. You know, that's that's like the the ugly truth behind it because you, you said you nailed it. Like over time their narrative is going to be, you know, trying to be this or trying or or just, you know, in someone's shadow versus they have a thing. It's them. Mm-hmm. We can identify with it. You know, I, it's like that's where I I want to be. You know, I, yeah. I want to be to a point where it's like Jonathan Barber has a lane. He has his thing, and it's him. You know, regardless where I fit on the po- the popularity chart, it's just like I'm undeniably myself. Right. Yeah. And no one can take that away. You know. I was gonna say, and there's like you're on you're the only person on the popularity chart of like of the best Jonathan Barber right right exactly you know and like and and we and I'm not I'm not criticizing anyone because one I'm not in a position to do so and two uh I think we're all guilty of it on some level but there's a lot of times where like I could scroll through Instagram and if I'm not looking at it but I'm listening I'm like okay that okay I don't know who that was I don't know who that was I don't know who that was because that person sounded like the person before and then all of a sudden you know like if it's Steve Gad, you're like, oh, Steve Gad, you know, right. or, or <laughs> right. it's just it's just the way it is, and and uh, and and I think I think it's a really hard thing to do. How do you suggest that people, let's say, steer the ship, right? And they're like, I'm going in this direction of like, and I forget who said it. Someone on the podcast, I can't remember, and I thought it was a great way of describing it. It's like copying and pasting, right? Mm-hmm. So like, how do you get out of like the copy and paste mode into like? creating your own your own narrative and right you know writing your own book instead of copying somebody else's words yeah man that's that's a really good question um well it takes in a sense time as far as like creating this trajectory where you can look at you know a period of time and, and 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 people can identify with you know but um, I'll tell you what I did, you know, okay. um, as far as like creating my own music, um, like, you know, composing my music, like having a band and, and, cons- and, and through just having a band, us creating a sound. And I, I feel that when people hear vision ahead, you can hear like, okay, these people have been playing together for a while. They have a sound like you, you can tell like it's not necessarily like one person on top of the other. Like we're we're playing inside of the music. And I think that with that being said, like that was our intention. So I think first um, in redirecting the ship, we have to ask ourselves, like, what do we what are we trying to say and what do we want? Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be hard to kind of, you know, be true to yourself if you want what someone else have, or if you want this facade, or if you want the popularity, and if you want, you know, uh, to be the number one person, because then you have to play that game and, and you have to 
you know, go after well, what everyone else is doing, you know, but if you're right. really going for, uh, and you can identify what you really want for yourself and what your strengths are and what really speaks to you, then I think you can start making those, those steps. And again, it's, I, I think it's like truly investing in yourself, mm-hmm. you know, if, if it's, if it's, uh, you know, videos or if it's just audio or if or if i mean whatever you want to however you want to portray yourself to the masses i think you should really uh, make an effort to really invest in like what you really and truly want for yourself right One line in the dream symbol family that I think is really cool is the dark matter family. They have the flat earth, the moon ride, and the dark matter energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the dark matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out dreamsymbols.com. So I've been checking out the new Sonar SQ-1s, and let me tell you, these drums are sick. They're made out of birch, all right? Why, you ask? Because birch has balanced low, mid, and high ranges. So they sound really, really good in the recording studio, plus they sound great live. Now, this is some really cool stuff. They have a sound stabilizer system, and it's actually based on concepts applied in the automotive industry, and it's rubber to metal so that you're getting complete isolation from the shell. Not only that, the colors that they come in also resemble high-end automobiles, so they're all matte lacquer finishes. These kits are insane, and not only that, they sound amazing. To learn more about the SQ-1 series, go to sonar.com. Yeah, I think that there's some, I agree with you, there's some deep diving that you have to do and and some... uh, you know, a little bit of, of reflective, cause I think a lot of times we all get into the, into the mindset of like, Oh, well they're doing that. And I want to do that thing too. And then mm-hmm. you realize like, Oh, maybe that's actually not what I really want to do, you know? And, and right. it's, like, it's like, we were talking about Calvin Rogers earlier. I think he's a great example. Like he was like, I want to do pop gigs. Right. And he, and he got mm-hmm. all these huge pop gigs and was like, I don't want to do this. Uh, right. I just, I'm not happy here. I want to go back to playing gospel music. And everyone was like, dude, that is career suicide. Like, you're not going to make any money. You know, what are you doing? And he's like, I got to follow my heart. I got to do, yeah. you know, I got to do what's right for me. And he's like, it's the best decision I ever made in my entire life. Right on. You know, and it's like, right on. Unless you, unless you get real with yourself and, and have, and have some, uh, you know, some self-awareness of, of what you really want. And that's like a, that's like a, a hot topic now, right? Self-awareness, mm. like a buzzword now that everyone's talking right. about. <laughs> it's true. Like mm-hmm. you can lie to yourself and say that you want all these things, you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be on tour. 
because they've never done it. And then they go on tour and they're like, oh, touring actually sucks on a lot of levels. Right. You know, and it's mm-hmm. hard and it's it's like it's not milk and honey like everyone thinks it is. Um, right. So I think that's a I think that's a really interesting uh, uh, interesting point. And I agree 100 percent with what you said that you would mention you would mention composing and as a i'm curious about how you compose as a drummer how you write music how you started a band i because i did the same thing i like every band i was ever in was my band mm-hmm. um so but what is what's your approach because i'm sure it's a lot different than mine because mine's not good um it's just, <laughs> you never know man you never know it's just not i would not <laughs> suggest anyone do it the way that i do it um but for you what is what does composing look like and and what does let me i'm rambling a bit but let me set this up before i ask you i think a lot of times we as drummers say or we as drummers sit by the phone and wait for the phone to ring and Mm -hmm. they're like well no bands hire me i can't get any gigs versus like starting a band writing some music or you don't even have to write the music you can play cover but like starting a band doing all that like what was that process like for you and how can others do the same thing so uh my band, we, I guess we formed in college, mm-hmm. the University of Hartford, the Jack McLean Institute of Music, and we all moved to New York together, pretty much. Got you. And so um, we did like some gigs locally, but at the time I didn't, I wasn't so super like, oh, like this is going to be, a, uh, you know. My focus wasn't always in my band. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and what changed was there was a guy who used to run um, a jam session at this club called Smalls in New York City. He used to do it on Mondays, starting at 1 a.m. And I, don't, I think he you know, just got tired of doing it. And so he said, hey, man, like, do you have a band? Would you like to you know, maybe possibly sub for me? And I said, like, yep, I got a band. And so I got my guys together. Because at one point we all lived together, which was good and bad. <laughs> you know, it was like really great, but also it was just kind of like we were around each other all the time. Take your work home with you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so we did that for I want to say about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. We yeah, one a.m. on Mondays we'll we'll play at Smalls, and that just gave us so much exposure. Period. Because after you had like the main. Um, um, the, the main events, if you will, the main gigs in New York City, everyone would go to Smalls just to hang out. So I pretty much came, got into contact with almost every musician uh, or every serious musician in New York City uh, just just by them hanging out and then they're hearing us and then we're just connecting. So that was definitely um, a good look for us in that aspect. But in the beginning stages, um, everyone was composing but me mm-hmm. because I, I felt like I just didn't have that, I guess, skill at the time. Um, and I wasn't used to composing. So, and I was like comfortable playing other people's music and I was being the drummer. So I was getting uh, calls and I was going on tour. And so I was like, oh, I'm cool. And at the, you know, at the time everybody was like writing music. So I was like, okay, we're playing, you know, covers if you were or standards or I was playing their music. And when, once I realized like, okay, it's time for us to write um, a record or not write a record, uh, to, to do a record, I I kind of was like, man, I think I need to let me try to like write some music. And at first, like I, I'll say, like my first, pr- the first process was taking different isms from all the different songs that I liked and mm-hmm. try to put them together. 
And then I started playing everything on the piano, and which is what I do now. I compose at the piano. And, you know, it could be a thing where I'll just take a triad and a, and a bass note, or even if you take a triad and, and change the bass note with your left hand, you know, you're, you're changing the, the quality of the chord, which is like different, you know, uh, you know, I guess uh, sonic sensibilities, which um, is, is kind of like a cool way, especially if you're not, you know, a, a serious or a legit piano player. Mm-hmm. And so I began to do that. And it was kind of like a, a muscle that I was like strengthening. And at first it took me a long time to compose a song. It took like a week. And then it started to make a couple of days. And then I start knocking out, you know, different songs uh, in a day to to point now where. Are you, you know, creating song structures or are you creating the actual song? Yeah, like the actual song. So first I, I, right. might, I, might, I might get the chords and then the melody will come. Or maybe I get the melody and put the chords to it. And then from there, you know, comes my imagination to say, okay, maybe I want the soul section to be this, which is like, for me, like, that's the fun part. Like once I get like the shell and the, and the shape of the song, then it's like, okay, you know, the, the guitar, the guitars can solo over this part. And then maybe we can go here and then maybe I can create this vamp because what's really, uh, what was really intentional for me. And if you hear, you know, uh, my compositions, it's kind of like section, like section writing where I want everyone to solo over a different part. Because like in jazz, like nine times out of ten, you know, you're playing the melody, you're soloing over the melody, and then you're playing the melody, the end. That's right. that, that's like a basic thing. But for me, I'm just like, ah, I kind of want, you know, everyone to kind of solo over a different part where mm-hmm. you know everyone has their own topic to talk about. And so I started kind of like arranging, you know, that way as well like different themes inside of each tune and be like, here's your theme, do whatever you want with it. And then we'll switch it to this theme. Exactly. And and, and I think that kind of will hold the attention of the, of the listener too, because it's like, okay, like what's going to happen next? All right. The piano solo went here and then they did something. Now the sax solo went here and then, okay, now it's the drum solo and that's different, you know? So I kind of almost like, or, you know, orchestral music where there's more like, there's more um, um, like, What's the word I'm looking for? It just popped into my head and, and left. It's not themes, but different uh, movements of, of different sections. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, uh, I would say, like a composition device uh, that I, that I you know, use uh, in pretty much all my compositions. And so... And I got to uh, imagine it's more interesting for the guys in the band, too. Yeah, yep. Right? Yeah, it is. And, you know, some of them... They they like to switch their parts like all right like let me get that part and then you take this part you know so everyone's kind of uh, definitely engaged and mm-hmm. and it makes it you know fun too because it gives us a challenge to say okay this is where we're trying to get to by the end of this uh, section now let's let's corporately try to really you know reach it you know right. so it, it, every night is different obviously but uh, it, it it gives a cool roadmap for us to explore mm-hmm. so how one you have this band you put this band together came out with the record um and then we were talking a little bit about the live record mm-hmm. that you did. tell me how that whole thing came about yeah so um so for me and, and this kind of goes back um you know to a, a previous topic that we we're talking about as far as like me investing myself and and like branding myself um, let's say before COVID, <laughs> obviously, right. um, I would video record all of my shows. 
you know, all of my vision head shows. And then obviously I would kind of like chop it up and, and put out different clips on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube so people kind of, you know, can see. And and not to go off on a tangent a little bit, but I, I think that was one intentional thing that I wanted for myself and for my lane because, I, you know, the the at-home drum videos are really cool. I You know, I'm not knocking anyone that's, that's doing that, but I kind of want to be known of like, I wanted my clips to be live and in the moment and with a band mm-hmm. and something that's, you know, that was like in the moment. Like, you know, it's not say like not so much of like rehearsed. You know what right. I mean? I don't know how much you're you're into like marketing and content marketing and stuff like that, but that is like what you're do what you do is like is marketing genius. Like that's like that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like it has context. Mm-hmm. It's displaying the thing that it is that you do. And all these at-home videos, there's no context. There's no nothing. Yeah. And then they're like, why can't I get hired for the singer-songwriting gig? And I'm like, because all you do is put videos up of you playing 150 beats a minute, blasting chops around the kit. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, so like, where's all the videos of you playing along with like singer-songwriter tunes or mm-hmm. some sort of context? Sorry, yeah. I just hijacked your uh, your. No, no, no. But, but yeah. I definitely oh, uh, see the coffee's empty now. The coffee kicked in. <laughs> there you go. We have to fill it back up. But no, that's all good, man. Um, and so uh, I'm trying to think what were we saying. I uh, you, sorry, I cut you off. You were saying that uh, what you start you were you were videotaping all of your shows, yes, right, and putting them out on, on Instagram and and trying to differentiate yourself and do your own thing, like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, this yes. is what I do. This is the this is what makes me who I am. Right. So for the for the jazz standard um i guess recording which honestly that that wasn't meant to be a live recording that was just like a gig and actually i booked that gig the day before we went into the studio to record the second record which is called legacy holder and so i thought this would be like a nice paid rehearsal Mm -hmm. uh not to say that we were treating as rehearsal but you know the fact that we can kind of get you know uh comfortable with the with the music before we went into the studio right and i recorded you know, the, I did the video recording because that's what I like to do. And then um, I sent everyone the files just to listen to it and, you know, for whatever, for their pleasure. And so the guitarist, Andrew Renfro, he calls me and he says, man, did, did you hear like what we did at the, at the standard? And I was like, no, not yet, because I'm like focusing on what we did in the studio. And he said, man, if I were you, I would release that as the record. And I'm like, dude, come on. Like, we just spent two days in the studio. I spent this money. Like, wh- like what are you saying? He's like, I mean, the studio is, I mean, what we do is fine. But I mean, the live record, that, that's it, man. Like, I'm just saying, if I were you, and I'm just like, dude, I can't, like, I just, I just can't. Like, that's be such a way, you know what I mean? Like, right. Oh. And how, how good is it recorded live? It's, um, it, it's, it does sound great. Like, yeah. uh, shout out to uh, Ryan Caruso, the engineer at the Jazz Standard. Uh, I mean, and also, man, shout out to the Jazz Standard period because last week they announced yeah. that they they closed, which is oh, such a drag. But oh, go um, ahead, sorry. Let's talk about the yeah. So I mean, I listened to it. I'm like, man, it does. It sounds clean and like, I mean, yeah, like it, it really does. Um, but I'm like, you know what? But and, and also in my head, I'm like, well, these songs are super long. You know what I mean? Because like it's live, so. Sure. You know, uh, a five minute or four minute studio version track is actually like a 10, nine minute, you know, live track. So right. I was like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. And so I went with my gut. And the first thing was I was, I was going to do a, uh, a, a double 
CD thing. So you get mm -hmm. the studio version and a live version. But then I was like, ah, it's 2019 it's, and it's going to be it's too much content out at, in, in one sitting, right. you know, for, for people. And, you know, if this was 1996, then, yeah, I would have done the, the double CD, whatever. But no. And so I was like, ah, like it might have its place. And I was like, I, I, I have to just roll with the studio thing. And so I'm glad I did because it, I mean it was well received, and you know Downbeat gave it 4.5 stars, and nice. I'm super grateful for you know uh, the accolades that it has it has received. And then now COVID hits, right? And so then I'm like, wow. And we were also I, I'm happy to say somewhat <laughs> that we were in the in the middle of our first national tour um, this February and March, mm -hmm. and then COVID just just said, nope, like nope, you're, you're going home. Yeah, yeah, you're going home. We're two weeks in. And then I was like, oh, we're going to just fly back. And so as I'm thinking, I'm just like, okay, like what, you know, what am I going to do? And I'm thinking like, man, I got this live record. And then it hit, like, I got this video, like video content where, you know, I can put out the music and put out the video so people can really see what's going on. And then I got hip to band camp. Mm -hmm. And then my wheels started, started turning. And um, and at the time, what Bandcamp were, was doing, or I guess what they are doing, they're doing these vinyl campaigns where basically, if you pre-order a certain amount of pre-orders, they will release the um, the vinyl. Right. So at first, I tried to do that, and you know, I guess like the number of pre-orders were like was like a ridiculous number, and I was like, man, like that, like that's not gonna happen, and. So then I'm like, well, how about I just do it myself? Like, how about I just like go to disc makers, you know, press it myself, put together my own um, pre-order campaign and just, just do it all myself. And then that kind of breathed this, you know, this beautiful thing in the midst of this COVID thing. And so I, you know, released uh, the pre-orders, released the vinyl, released the video. And so now like, you know, like the, the span, of, of the album has doubled because you yeah. got a legacy holder that kind of happened in the summer. And then um, in October, I released a live record and then, you know, Justin or closed. And then it's kind of like even more sentimental. Yeah. So I was going to say now there's like, there's going to be no more records coming out of the jazz standard. Yeah, that was the last uh, record out, out of the jazz standard. So crazy. it's just like, you know, wow. So, you know, it, it, and, and it's also like trying to, think forward and trying to find new ways and different ways and beneficial uh, ways of, you know, putting yourself out there and, and, you know, obviously re re recouping something, you know, and, and, you know, shout outs to Bandcamp, man, for, you know, making a platform for independent artists where, you know, the artists can see majority of the money and, yeah. and, and, and where they can, you know, where you can sell product. And, and that's another thing. Once I tapped into the band camp thing, I realized like, okay, I can sell other things besides, you know, um, just like the vinyl. So I did mm -hmm. CD, I did drumsticks, I did t-shirts, you know, I even had a package in the beginning where you can buy a vinyl and then even get a drum lesson, you know? So it's kind of like thinking outside the box versus just, you know, uh, putting out, you know, a video of me at home or just, you know, putting everything out on Spotify. It's like, what well, what's some other ways, like what's some other platforms? So yeah. I think yeah. that's smart, man. 
I think, and and I and I'm guessing what you notice too is that people are people are down with with supporting artists, you know, right. independent artists. And like, you know, we used to buy CDs for, for 12, 13, $14 a pop. And we would buy, you know, how many of them a month? Mm-hmm. Like, you'll, I think that, I think it's hard to get someone to buy like maybe like a, like a pop record for like one song or something like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which we used to do too. You buy the whole record for one song, but right. like, but you know, I see it more and more where people are like, hell yeah, I'll support an independent musician who's putting out a record or who's going on tour or selling merch. Like we have a, we have a guy, Rhett Miller that we work with. I have another, I have another business and I'm I'm partners. We're partners with Rhett on it. And he's a musician. He's in a band called the old 97s. They've been around since like the early nineties, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And they, and like he's on, he, he's doing his 150th show on stage it since mm. since uh since covid hit they, they're putting up a billboard of them in Times square wow. about about the uh the 150 episodes and it's pay what you can and he's like he's totally like making a hell of a living on stage yeah. because he can't tour right now you know and Smart. like people yeah. so the me- the point of that all is that that people support independent artists and i think that a lot of times we become sort of curmudgeon and we're like, oh, the music industry is dead. Or and it's like, yeah, if you want to sit at your house and try to just sell CDs and not do anything else, yeah, that industry is dead. Right. Absolutely. But like right. if you get creative, yeah. there's a lot of things that you can do. Yeah. And 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 also like partner uh partner with people too. You know, like mm-hmm. if my strength is this and your strength is is that, then we can come together and 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 create something or you know, share ideas or, or help each other in, in such a way. So I think, you know, this is a, a trying time, but it's also, you know, a beautiful time to present these alternatives mm-hmm. that people um, can, can support. Yep. You know, I agree. And I think people are still very thirsty for music, mm-hmm. you know, particularly live music for sure. But I think right. that some, you know, music creates this 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 emotional it elicits this emotional response this visceral reaction the sense of community and and all the, and i think you can still deliver that on some level even though we can't get in front of people and be on the bandstand right know? yeah and i think that 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 people are willing to pay for it for sure yeah Where's the best place for people to go to find all? So they just go to your website and I'll link up to everything in the show notes, but is the best place to just go to your website? Yeah, you can go to my website uh, or you can go to my Bandcamp page. Uh, um, I'll say right now, probably, yeah, like my Bandcamp page, like everything is, is there. Um, Like all my merch and and obviously I have different bundles, Mm -hmm. you know, so. So do you just go to Bandcamp and search for your name? Is that the best way? Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this on the show notes of this episode, I'll have direct links to his Bandcamp page, to his website, all that stuff. So you don't have to like fumble around and try to search for it. But right. if you just want to go to Bandcamp, just search for Jonathan Barber and it'll pop up. Right. Correct. Good deal. So um, now that all of this stuff, I'm, I would, is there more stuff in the works too? Are you working on some other stuff or is this the this the thing that you're focused on right now yeah so um i i haven't told many people this but during covid i was taking classes on ableton mm-hmm. 
And so, um, you know, I, I heard about Ableton, you know, I play, um, I'm endorsed with uh, Sunhouse Percussion, which is an amazing like, electronic company. Those things are cool. And, oh man, amazing. And I've heard that they are really great. They're compatible and, and, and it's a great uh, way to kind of just do different things using um, Sunhouse and Ableton together. And then one day years ago, I tried to work with Ableton and I was like, man, this is too much, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, as I'm like in New York touring and traveling, I just didn't really have the time. So I kind of put up to the side. Obviously, COVID hit and I was like, okay, this is a time where I can really tackle some things that I really want to work on within myself that I just would not have time at all if this pandemic never hit. And Ableton, it kind of popped up. I'm like, yeah, like I, I think that is uh, a wave that I should that I should try to uh, you know surf on, if you will, mm -hmm. just by um, you know creating music uh, myself, and, and and it's something outside of not necessarily my comfort zone, but something that I'm like somewhat you know familiar with. I'm more of an acoustic live, two or three or more people playing, right. but. You know, I'm just like, okay, this is one way to versify myself. And you never know the how this inspiration or, or influence can can spark other things, you know? So, you know, with that being said, like me getting into Ableton, I'm not worried about if I'm going to sound like this producer or this producer. Like, it's through a lens of someone who loves live music and who has uh, already a, a direction and a vision. And I think this is going to be cool, you know, to kind of, let's say create music on Ableton. Yeah. So with that being said, I took some classes uh, about learning Ableton, learning ins and outs. And I started just creating music on there. And it was so refreshing, you know, to now at, at one point writing music for uh, a quintet, for a jazz quintet. And now it's just like just exploring different sounds. So um, yeah, I'm working on kind of like a little solo EP, you know, right. of uh, put on some tracks of like my little Ableton chops. And, and now I have a, a drum studio um, in Parkville Sounds. Uh, shout out to Steve um, in Hartford, Connecticut. And so, yeah, that through COVID got into recording and, and you know, I get to play my so lovely Ludwig drums and my Istanbul Agap cymbals and Evans drum heads. And you know, telefunken microphones, and I'm just having a good old time. So this is like a new rebirth, if you will, because I wouldn't have done none of this stuff if I was, you know, still in New York and if COVID didn't exist. I mean, of course, I'd be traveling, I'd be touring, um, and I've been running, be running around. But this other side, I get to really tap into and really, you know, build build my skills and, and also add value to who I am. Right. Yeah. It seems like you're you sort of hit pause and been able to like build this little foundation for yourself so that way when when the world turns back on you're going to be in a really good spot i think that's smart yeah. man i think that's really smart so what i'm going to do is i'm going to link up to the stuff that we had talked about also i recommend like go to his band camp page check out check out the videos like follow him on instagram because he has amazing videos on there get the record support his work support independent artists and jonathan i just want to say one it's super impressive what you've been able to do in you know a down music economy and and in a time where i think a lot of people were are feeling frustrated and feeling unmotivated you took this opportunity to to 
move forward and and to build all these new new skill sets and things like that so i think that that is super impressive so i commend you for that and also man i just love what you what you're doing i love the music that you put out in the world i like the energy that you put out in the world and to have you on the podcast i'm very thankful man i really i really appreciate it and i'm sorry it took this long for us to uh <laughs> to get you on but uh but i'm i'm glad that that we got it done and and uh glad that we can start building this friendship Yes, sir, man. What an honor to be on Drummer's Resource. So, Nick, I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. I will talk to you soon. Yes, sir. There you have it. The one, the only, Mr. Jonathan Barber. And to get the show notes, go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 595. And in that, in those show notes, you can find his Bandcamp link. You can find the link to his website. So I really recommend that you go do that. Check out the record. Check out the video stuff that he has and all the bundles that he has on Bandcamp. So again, drummersresource.com forward slash session 595 to get all the show notes. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming, keep learning. And thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.